Welcome to the Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. Today's episode of Brand Spanking New, we're going to dissect what's going on with all of the rookie quarterbacks and the disastrous weekend they just had. Uh, we're going to look at some older quarterbacks and what's going on with them and how their MO has changed. We'll dive in a little bit about what's going on in Philadelphia. Even though the NBA season hasn't started yet, I still have my popcorn out ready to go. But first, let's talk about what happened over the weekend, specifically on Saturday. First off, college football. What do we know about college football right now? Well, first off, we know Bama is phenomenal. It's, this isn't anything new to us. This is something that anybody who's watched college football for the last decade and a half knows. Bama will always win. They're unbelievable. They're incredible. Yes, we know they lost their entire roster, but it doesn't matter. They still kill everybody in sight. Georgia, just as good. Georgia has little to no flaws. Everyone's asking, is this Kirby Smart's year? I don't know. It's it's hard to make that assessment yet as we're literally only you know four games into the season, but the way the college football landscape is looking right now, you have Bama, you have Georgia, you have all the rest. There's no other standout teams that are just head and shoulders above. It's Bama and Georgia, and then everybody else is fighting for those last two playoff berths. Whether that's Oregon, whether that's Ohio State, whether it's Penn State, whether it's uh, you know Oklahoma, who knows? But all we know is Bama, Georgia, and then good luck fighting for third and fourth place, or with this playoff start of today, the first and second exits of the playoffs. So that's what we currently do know. We also know that something that's been true year after year is that Oklahoma overrated. And again, I'm not saying this just to knock on Oklahoma and sound like I'm this biased fan, like I don't like Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma. But why do they do keep doing this every single year? They squeaked out a win at home against West Virginia. Now, granted, the Mountaineers are a good team. But the way they were playing, it's like Spencer Rattler's more concerned about his logo than he is about how to throw a correct screen pass. And that's a problem. When Oklahoma is struggling at home in a conference game in the weakest conference in the entire country, that's a big issue. Oklahoma is not doing well for their trajectory, looking like they're going to be this top four team at the end of the season. And I get it. Maybe they've got their stuff going on. Maybe Riley's getting job offers. Still, that's a rumor that always circulates. But Oklahoma, what we always know, overrated. It's going to be interesting Red River shootout in a couple weeks. Uh, Another team that's going through some struggles or growing pains or going the opposite directions, Clemson. Uh, We all saw what happened this last week. Clemson lost a double overtime game. And everyone's like, oh, it's a double overtime game. Yeah, it was. You still lost an ACC conference game to an unranked opponent, which Dabo hasn't done in, who knows, 36 games or something. I can't remember the stat. But Clemson doesn't lose. You lost on the road. You almost lost at home to Georgia Tech. There's not even anything you can excuse that by. Like, that's a terrible, terrible win in saying this. But so far, Dabo is 2-3 and in their last five games. Now, I get it. Two of those losses are to the, the... Ohio State Buckeyes, who lost a title game in the semifinals, and then to Georgia on the road, number five Georgia, who's now number two, right? So two of those are justifiable losses, but NC State's not a justifiable loss. And they're almost one and four had they not had some miraculous comeback in the fourth quarter at home against Georgia Tech. The fascinating story about this college, this team, this Clemson team, is that at the beginning of the season, remember after Florida State and Notre Dame had that just barn burner down in the swamp, not in the swamp, excuse me, down in Tallahassee, but the statement came out, FSU really has a shot against Clemson. We're like, man, this this FSU team, this could be the second best team in the ACC. They might really, they might give Clemson a shot, like a run for their money. And then 
we watch them lose a home game on Hail Mary. It's like, oh, to an FCS team, it's like, okay, we take that back. Now, after watching this game, that statement rings true again. Like, after watching Clemson lose, you're like, hey, you know what? FSU really has a shot against Clemson. So the jury's not, it's, they're, I don't want to say they're, they're out on this one, they're undecided, but the odds aren't looking good for Clemson. And they're not getting any better. They've lost their running back, their inside linebacker for the year. You know, it's it's not looking good for Clemson at this point. And not to say like this is karma for calling out Ohio State, me being a Buckeye fan and all, but look, when you're when you get blown out in national t- in the semifinal and then you lose your first two games, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but it made time to start thinking some humility on the side and say, I'm gonna start I'm gonna quit talking smack on everybody I want to, Dabo. So transitioning that from Pro Day. So some speaking of Clemson and some former Tigers who are now in the NFL. Rough day across the board for rookie quarterbacks. If you just look at the numbers, it was not pretty at all. Trevor Lawrence, three sacks, two picks, 68.1 QBR. That's not a good day. Loot lost to the Cardinals, and they, had, they didn't have a shot, unless it was for that fluke 109-yard kickback return, they get just blown out. Uh, they still were blown out. It was just a 31-10 game. Zach Wilson, again, nobody to throw to. Just got demolished by the Broncos. Broncos are a legit team. They're going to be in the playoffs they have an outright chance to win the AFC West. I know they're going against Kansas City, but still, the Broncos play defense. Bridgewater does not turn the ball over. But that doesn't excuse Zach Wilson throwing for 160 yards, two picks, 42.5 QBR. Uh, Mac Jones up in up in the frozen tundra of Massachusetts or New England. Uh, 30 for 51. He threw 51 attempts. What is going on, Bill? Why are you having Mac Jones throw the ball 51 times? I'm not... You know, I can't call you out and say I'm a better uh, offensive coordinator, but when does that happen in New England? 51 passes, and, and you know, completing barely over half of them. Three picks against the Steelers, 35.2 QBR. Mac Jones, uh, and we called this. We called this on Wednesday. Said Mac Jones will get annihilated by Cam Jordan, and that defense destroyed him. Like, he was atrocious. The worst day, though, sadly, Justin Fields. Nine sacks compared to six completions. Uh, 41.3 QBR. Yeah, well, I remember when I was calling out saying, throw him to the Wolves, he's a grown man. And, and you know what? He handled the loss very well. Like, he never was, you know, beat and destroyed and, like, it's the end of his life. But, yeah, it was a rough day across the board. In in all their defense, and this is kind of transition over to the next point I want to make, is that, yeah, these are all abysmal numbers. These are terrible. These are atrocious numbers. But the argument that's being made for these guys is, and this is where it's like, let's hold on just a sec. Let's not say it's the end of the world. See, I told you so about Zach Wilson. Right? I told you so about Trevor Lawrence. But they've got nothing. They've got no ammunition whatsoever. They're literally been given the keys to a Corvette, and they've never had a shot at taking driver's ed. And that's the way the NFL is being run right now. Like The best receiver any of them have is Allen Robinson with Justin Fields. And the problem with that is he can't have enough time to even throw the ball. Miles Garrett was having his way. Jadavion Clowney destroyed their O-line. Like Fields, Allen Robinson is a great receiver, but it's hard to throw the ball when you have less than a second to actually get it out of your hands. Nine sacks, setting a record back in like 2006 for the Browns. So rough day for all of them. On the contrary, on the opposite side of the spectrum. And if you, it's funny, if this podcast is being recorded a year from now, it's going to be interesting to see what we're saying now. All of these young guys who were thrown to the wolves at the exact same time literally were given starting jobs right out of the gates. Almost all of them are. They all excelled. And they're, and they're two, three years down the road. 
Like if you look at Kyler Murray, rolled over the Jaguars. They're they're hitting on all cylinders in Arizona. Joe Burrow and his boy Jamar Chase dismantled the Steelers. Like they they were hitting on all cylinders. They were unbelievable the way they played. Cincinnati did great. Herbert went into Kansas City, beat the Chiefs on the road. Uh, again, he's he's a top tier quarterback. He's going to be MVP discussion every single year. Lamar Jackson beat Detroit. Now, granted, Lamar Jackson didn't kick the sixty six yard field goal, but he is an unreal athlete. Look at what Baltimore is doing. Same thing. Baker Mayfield, steady game, solid game. He was connecting with OBJ. All that, all that hoopla about could Baker and OBJ really connect? Well, yeah, they connected great today on some incredible plays. Just watch, go back and watch the replays. They look like they hadn't missed a beat. Now, granted, Jarvis Landry was out. They didn't have the same, uh, you know, that distraction of who am I going to throw to because there's so many, ta- so much talent on on the X, Y, and Z profiles. But at the same time, Baker Mayfield, outstanding. Darnold, Sam Darnold, wins on Thursday night. It's 3-0 with the Panthers. And I don't know what the, the overall lesson we can take from this is. It's like, wow, like, are these guys just a step ahead of them? Well, of course they are. They've been in the league for two, three years. But what we can take away from this is if you look at how some of these players' careers started out, Joe Burrow got his leg broken half. Baker Mayfield had three different co- coaches in three different seasons. Sam Darnold is literally doing, he did what Zach Wilson did. When Sam Darnold made the Monday Night Football comment, I was seeing Ghost. I guarantee that's what Zach Wilson's doing. So we sit here and we look at these quarterbacks where it's like, oh, look how amazing they are and their circumstances. And oh, it's so incredible. But it's like, they just had to let it sit for a little bit. Like, Kyler Murray was incredible his first two years, but he also threw quite a few picks his first season. Uh, You've got to let it sit. You've got to let it cook. And I think that's what we take away from this. Yes, it was terrible what Trevor Lawrence did. He's he's not looking like the top pick. I mean, yes, he was the best of the four in that sense, but three sacks, two picks, 68.1 QBR. Granted, he has nobody to throw to. And his head coach is brand new to the NFL. And the whole system is like, well, we're looking for a number one draft pick in 2022. Um, but same thing for Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. We knock these guys and say, that was terrible. What are you doing? It's like, just let it cook. Let it marinate. You're in no rush. These fan bases, the only one that's really ludicrous is, I would say, Chicago. Because New England, yeah, they get a little crazy, but it's like, okay, we've given you five super, six Super Bowls. You can shut up about a guy for a year. Chicago, yeah, I don't think the blame should be really going at Justin Fields, maybe more at Matt Nagy, but that's a different story. But I think the lesson to take away from this is just let it cook. Just let it marinate. Yes, they're going to have some huge mountains to overcome, but look at what guys that were in their same position last year and the year before, look what they're doing. And they're cooking. They're doing great they're, they're, the marinade is sweet. It tastes wonderful. And that's what I think the, the advice we can look at from this point is don't overreact on this one. Speaking of the opposite side of the spectrum on this one, something that's been marinating way too long, I uh, want to look up over into uh, Pittsburgh. Something that has been marinating both probably figuratively and a little bit literally. Big Ben, 38 for 58. One TD, two picks. Again, let me go back to that really quick. Why is Ben almost throwing the ball 60 times? What has happened to Mike Tomlin? What has happened to Bill Belichick? Did they, in the offseason, just go and have this private dinner with Cliff Kingsbury and say, hey, I need you to teach us how to throw the ball? Why is Ben throwing the ball almost 60 times? Why is Mac Jones throwing it 50 times? This is not, I'm not saying you can't adapt, but what are you doing, guys? 
And it's not like Pittsburgh doesn't have a running back. Najee Harris is a good back. Yes, he's a rookie, but he's not a pushover. Uh, it, so Big Ben, though, one TD, two picks, 70, 71 rating. It's just not looking good. It, it really isn't. And I think this is where the realization that Drew Brees had last year with the Saints, when he's realized, my time is done, it's it's come to an end. I, I think that it's better to be a commentator on CBS Sports rather than throwing you know drop pass or throw, throwing short passes you know two out of every four downs. And that's the thing that Big Ben's at. The, the biggest stat I want to take away from this game, right? So Ben throws almost 60 passes, 58. His leading receiver, not Chase Claypool, not the rookie phenom last year. No, his leading receiver is Najee Harris. So the leading receiver, the person he's throwing the ball to is on a check down. So if I am game planning for the Steelers, if I'm looking ahead and I'm like, okay, what's going to be happening in our next game? Like, how do we game plan for Pittsburgh? If I'm Green Bay going into this, all I'm saying is, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I'm like, okay, great. We're we're literally just going to make sure you can't check. Or we're going to let have you throw everything checked down. You're not going to beat us over the top. You're not handing the ball off to Najee Harris enough anyway. All you're going to do is just do little drop passes as he's in the in the cover. So that's the big problem you want to look at with Ben. I don't know. It's it's not good. It's just not good. Pittsburgh, I think they're afraid to rip the bandaid off. And I don't know why. It's a 39-year-old disgusting scab of a band-aid that got away with a sexual assault charge. That's a band-aid you want to rip off. Why you're keeping that band-aid on this disgusting scab of an offense and thinking that throwing this 58 times is going to work? It's beyond me. It, it's just, this is a head-scratcher. What is Pittsburgh thinking? Flipping the sports, flipping the narrative, what's going on right now, and staying in that same state on the opposite end. So we're, we're shifting from the east to the west now. Or reverse that, excuse me. Uh, it's just popcorn in Philadelphia. Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers, it's like days of our lives on NBA steroids, and I just can't get enough of it. It is, it's just beautiful. Uh, stories that came out this week, apparently there's a plane issue where some members of the team, Tobias Harris, I don't know if Embiid was on that, um, some guys from the Sixers were trying to reach out and say, look, let's board this team, you know, go board this jet, let's go out, let's talk to Ben and get him back on the same page, fly out to Cali, just really, you know, we want to work on this team chemistry stuff and and right, rightly so. I mean, I like it when teams do this. Like we go back to when DeAndre Jordan was getting courted by the Mavericks, and the entire Clippers team did the same thing and flew down. JJ Redick and Blake Griffin, and and they all flew down and say, "Hey, no, 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 we love you. We want you with us." And it had DeAndre Jordan sign a two-year contract, and then he gets traded the next year. So, but I like when teams stick together, and I like the idea that the the Sixers were like, "No, we're going to stick for our guy." And you can see, you know, Thibault's on that plane, and. Uh, you know, some of these, these key guys, Stiebel, the guy who can't make a layup. Uh, no offense, I love the guy. I love the way he plays. And Ben pulls out and says, no, you can't come out here. So Ben pulled the, the uh, keys out of the ignition before the plane even started going off. And then you get Doc's quote saying that, you know, he try, he, some days he's in, some days he's not. He tries to break through with them. He can't tell if he's a Trump voter. And it's like, okay, why are you comparing Ben Simmons to a Trump voter? The guy's from Australia. And I'm not saying that basketball coaches don't talk politics, but what's the double entendre you're trying to go with when – Ben Simmons can't play, and then Trump voters are idiots. Yeah, we know these things, but I don't understand Doc's point on this one. So the the statement I want to get, or the two things I think we can take away from this, and I think that's what makes this just so fascinating and just like just throw me more popcorn. Just keep feeding me. I I, I don't even care. I, I could watch this soap opera all day long just because the, the dysfunction 
of Philadelphia, the whole trust the process narrative where, oh, no, we're going to trust the process and then draft two busts, Nerlens Noel and Okafor. And, and then, no, we, we trust the process. And we're going to have our uh, GM go out and have ghost accounts and send Twitter messages and get in fight. It's just the Sixers have just been pure dramatic, just gold for NBA offseason, even during the season, too. But the two things I think we can take away from this, and these are the statements that make the most sense. One, Ben Simmons has not lived up or played up to the hype in which he came into this league. Like the man was phenomenal. He was the highly touted best player in the world, goes to LSU, walks away from that. Still, he's like best guy in the world, sits out his rookie year, and then he's rookie of the year, and then even like MVP discussions, can this guy do it both? Like he's amazing. He's an incredible passer, great defender. He's big, he's fast. He's Yes, he all he does is shoot layups, and he has a hard time when he goes to the free throw line. But Ben Simmons... Like the hype that was about this guy was just unbelievable. It was unmatched. Like, like this was LeBron levels when he first came out, and he has lived up to that. Like just look at his train record. Look at how he has evolved. You know, losing big series, not showing up in games. So that statement is true. Ben Simmons not lived up or played up to the hype. The second thing, Ben Simmons also has a right to never want to play for the Sixers again. Both of these statements can be true. Like Ben Simmons, you absolutely have a right to not want to play for the team. I get that the the argument that no, this is this is business. You know, put your emotions aside, and you're, you're making thirty eight million dollars or whatever it is to you know you've got to just put that. You're making the money. Your emotions go on the back burner. You can't have feelings. No, he has every right to be pissed off, and he rightly should. It, it's so demoralizing. I can only imagine to. Go into the, one of the biggest series of his career when he's when they were the favorites to win the title, and blow it in games five and seven. Even game six, he wasn't even good against the Hawks, and then have the guy who you already have a rift with throw you under the bus in a press conference. Have your coach say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know where he's at. I don't know what's going on." Have the entire organization basically blacklist you and then say, oh, no, no, we want you here. We love you. It's like, if I'm Ben Simmons, I'm not saying that holding out is the smart thing to do because it takes away all your leverage, but you have a right to be mad at them. Now, you don't. I don't know if you have a right to sit out, but those two statements can be true. Ben Simmons has not lived up to the hype, and he also has a right to not want to play for him. What happens in the upcoming weeks? I have no idea. Just get me my popcorn because I'm going to soak it all in. Just inject that drug-induced coma into my veins and just let me take it all in. I love this drama on that side of the country. So what do we learn this week? You know, what are some of the things we take away? You know, what's the message we can take away from this? Well, a couple things. We learned Justin Tucker is really the GOAT. Yes, Lamar Jackson is phenomenal, but Lamar Jackson did not hit a 66-yard walk-off field goal. I mean, he beat the, the all-time record by two yards. Jack Elam somewhere with the, with the club foot is like giving him, you know, props. Uh, we learned that you can't flop in the NBA anymore. Uh, the, the, this has been interesting. The NBA is coming out with these new rules that no longer can you do these, uh, you know, baiting fouls anymore. It's like the argument for that is I always go with the line: "Don't hate the player, hate the game." I'm not hating Trey Young. I'm not hating Chris Paul. I do hate when they do it, but I'm not going to hate on them for doing this because one of the reasons why they're able to do this is because you had guys like Steve Javi and Dick Bavetta and Tim Donahue and Joey Crawford and now Ken Maurer who have literally given you a pass on this one. So don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, I hate the game and what they've done. And it's about 20 years too late to get on this train. Uh, we learned that Big Ben is probably more suited to be the face of Burger Bar, which if you don't know what that is, go back and watch Dynamics Drive-Ins and Dives, 
than he is to be the face of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just Let's just call it what it is. You got to rip that scab-loaded Band-Aid off. And most importantly, we learned that even if you get thrown to the wolves this early on in your career, even if you get tossed with no weapons and it is a trial by fire, and as cliche as this sounds, if you look at the results of the players that were done, that have gone through these, this turmoil and this just devastation, there is light at the end of the tunnel. All right, that's all I got for this week. Uh, I will definitely be back on Thursday to dissect even more, I guarantee, with the Ben Simmons drama. So that's it. We will see you then.